Hello, welcome back. Uh, looking forward to a fantastic conversation. We're going to talk about the potential for harmonizing metrics, methodologies, approaches, talk about the potential for standardization, kind of what's happening in the space, really, uh, with regard to wine. And I'm delighted to be joined by our esteemed panel, who you can see here with me. I'm going to ask them all to go round the room and just do name, rank, and number um, very quickly. Don't start your spiel, uh, folks. Just give us your sort of 20 seconds on each of you, and then we'll come back around. I'll start with Derek for some opening comments on where we are on this complex area and how it applies to wine. Um, we, we mentioned in, in the pre-chat we wanted to just ease into it a little bit. So let's start with the headlines as you see them, uh, and then we'll try and dive a bit deeper from there, because we appreciate just how complicated this can be. Um, I, I was mentioning earlier, I chaired a conference last week in Minneapolis with about 200 food companies, and many almost had their head in the hands with the complexity of some of this, particularly when they're looking at scope three, which is obviously the big one. Um, so complicated area, we'll try and keep it at least initially as, as simple as we can, and then we'll try and dive into some detail um, and then look forward to your questions and comments. So let's do around the room first, um, starting with you, Derek, just give us your very brief bio details in 30 seconds or less, please. Derek. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thanks. So, yeah, I'm Derek Markoff. I work at LRQA. Uh, we're a third-party assurance provider. We provide assurance for all kinds of standards, um, including food safety, um, ISO 14000, and um, the uh, carbon accounting standards as well. Um, I'm, I'm a part of the sustainability um, part of our business, and so I, don't, I focus on GHG and sustainability. Um, have been, our company's been working for a long time with Miguel Torres and Jackson Family Wines. And so when IWCA was launched, um, we, we were a part of the program from the beginning. And so we've, um, worked with Josh here, um, Josh Prigg at Sestridge as, as the program has been being launched and, um, providing third-party assurance to, you know, the two founding organizations, as well as many of the, the members that have come online. Um, right. Thank last, you. We'll, we'll come, okay. We'll come back to that. Just, just try to keep things brief to start with. Uh, Sarah, turning to you. Uh, hello, my name is Sarah Walton. I work for the British Standards Institution, which is a country member of ISO, which is which uh, Derek mentioned there. Um, and I'm the sector lead for uh, the agri-food sector. Great. Thank you. Stefan. Yes, hello everyone. Thanks for the invitation. I'm Stefan Yerka, Senior Manager uh, for Agriculture Innovation at Vera. Vera operates the VCS program, which is one of the world's leading uh, greenhouse gas crediting programs. So I don't have specific experience in wine and vineyards, uh, but uh, looking forward to the conversation. Well, thanks for joining us. Looking forward to your insights. Vera is very well known in the space. Uh, Josh, next. Hi, Josh Priggy. I've been managing sustainability for about 12 years. Uh, previously worked for a wine company called Fetzer as their director of sustainability and then started a consulting firm in 2017 called Sustridge. So I've been working with a lot of wineries and, and IWCA on all things sustainability. Thanks, Josh. I think I heard my name. Um, my name is Joseph Rivas. I may have um, mispronounced it. No, no, sorry. I, I, I don't know if it's me or if it's you, but I hear the noise on, on your voice. But anyway, um, I'm the Climate Change Director at Familia Torres, 
and I'm also one of the founding board members at IWCA, International Wineries for Climate Action, and that's why I'm here to talk on behalf of this association. Derek, why don't you kick us off with some opening comments? Uh, let's try not to get too technical too early. So, Derek, you go ahead. Okay, yeah. So, um, as as Toby mentioned, um, this is a space that um, you know has a lot of different standards. That well, in climate change and sustainability in general, there's a lot of different standards that we're working with. Um, this is one of the topics we have, not just in the wine sector, but across the board. Um, kind of harmonizing standards is 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 uh, something that needs to happen in, in due course. Um, inherently, you know, it's a patchwork of standards and regulations around the world in this space as well. So, um, uh, but so we've got um, ISO 1464 um, that uh, is is what IWCA has has been um, requiring of reporters verification against um, for members. Um, there's GHG protocol and then the, the suite of GHG protocol standards um, and uh, and then a plethora of, of others as well. Um, and so um, we, you know, in the wine sector, it's it's the standard, the standards that I just mentioned are pretty um, kind of straw man standards um, that are, are um, sector neutral. Um, and they leave a lot of flexibility when it comes to the details of how to do the accounting and the methodologies to be applied. Um, so uh, what the IWCA has done is um, direct members towards um, some of the more um, appropriate standards for where the rubber meets the road in, in, in the sector, um, like the International Wine Carbon Calculator. Um, and, uh, and then, um, you know, what, what Josh Priggy has done is help develop some tools for members um, that within the tools, there, there are a lot of, um, he, his tools do a great job of referencing um, emission factor sources and where they come from. And then you can like click links and follow the path to the references um, to learn more about um, kind of the behind the scenes um, methodology development for a lot of the, the, the um, you know, the calculations. So um, uh, it, it, there's also, as, as mentioned in, in some of the opening remarks, um, there, there are um, the GHG protocols is working on a land sector um, uh, specific. Well, they, they've had a land sector one, but it's pretty out of date now. So they're they've got a, a working group working on um, uh, rehashing it, and and they're planning on rolling out um, the next version in 2023. That's going to be very helpful for all of us. Um, not just the wine sector, but one of the biggest challenges. I actually have a degree in soil science. Um, I haven't gotten to use it over my career up until the last five years per se. Um, and uh, and so one of the the areas of focus that's very kind of dear to my heart in the, in this space is um, you know carbon sequestration in the soils. And I think that the GHG protocol working group will hopefully, bring some of the latest science to, to the fore um, when um, rolling out their, their next version. Um, uh, we've been waiting for years, ever since I got my degree, uh, you know, 20 some odd years ago, and through a lot of the different standard working groups I've been a part of to get some more clarity on methodologies in this space. And so um, I think that that's one of the big areas that uh, a lot of the, the, the wine industry will be able to hopefully, you know, um, 
put into practice and use in, in the process of making reductions over time. I'll, I'll, I'll pause there for now and, and pass it on to, to somebody else. Thanks very much, Derek. Given that you've been working with Josep and, and with Josh, I'm going to come to you in a bit, Josep and Josh, so that we get a bit more specific about the, the work that you've done, the pioneering work you've been doing at, at Torres and through IWCA. Let's stick with a, a bit more of a broader perspective initially. Stefan, what, Stefan, why don't I turn to you next? Um, Vera does a huge amount of work in this space, uh, and I know Derek may have uh, laid out some of the key areas here, but I'm sure there's more to add. So perhaps you could kick us off with some opening comments on you think it might apply to wine um and then we'll yeah. perhaps hear from sarah and then we'll dive a bit deeper into into wine specific areas with Josep and josh after that so stefan over to you for some brief comments if yeah thank you so um obviously as a, as a standard setter they're uh, operating verified uh, carbon standard program uh, i think standardization makes a lot of sense um and this is in order to you know, have uh, different projects or in the case of, of companies, you know, conducting an inventory, following the same procedures, uh, the same sort of rules. Um, and this is really important when then making claims uh, against uh, carbon reductions or removals, right? You want to have apples to apples comparisons. Uh, and that's really what, what the BCS standard, uh, among other similar programs, enables is, is uh, you know, standard set of rules, reporting, monitoring requirements. And then specifically, I think for the, the wine industry, um, it was mentioned uh, just previously that methodologies, right, can be uh, created for more sector specific approaches. And, you know, we don't in the BCS program currently have any wine specific methodologies, but I suppose there would be an opportunity for that. Uh, to you know, account for um, you know baseline activities and then project interventions that maybe reduce emissions from nitrogen fertilizers or uh, yeah could sequester carbon in soils. Uh, so that's that's for kind of a project-based approach. I understand there's also interest more in, in an inventory, you know, scope one, two, three. Um, Vera currently is piloting a, or, or looking to yeah, develop a potential scope three program, which may be of interest uh, and applicable here in the future. And, and the idea is to look at how some of our carbon accounting methodologies, and this is you know, across all greenhouse gas emitting sectors, uh, could how these methodologies could be transferred into kind of an inventory accounting based approach. Uh, a lot of the quantification um, approaches that will be needed, whether they're emission factors or more direct measurement with primary data, will be applicable either in a project-based scenario or in an inventory-based scenario. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think having standardization and clarity there as well is, is super important. Yes, the greenhouse gas protocol is, um, you know, leading a uh, source here of guidance, uh, as well as the science-based targets initiative that a lot of companies are, are signing up to uh, and the flag guidance. And I think a lot of that is still under development, right? The, the land sector and removals guidance and, and the flag guidance are, are soon, um, you know, everyone's eagerly awaiting those um, and those will be highly applicable here as well. Yeah, I'll stop there and pass it over to another speaker. 
Thanks, Stefan. Yeah, I have some some questions for you later, and I'm sure the the other um, panelists and audience do too. But let me just turn to Sarah now. Um, Sarah, uh, welcome. What, what's BSI's role in in this? And what, from your broad experience as a as a standard assessor, what what do you see as some of the key points to build on here that you've heard so far and, and some of the other trends that you've heard about? Well, um, I think it, it's it's really interesting um, to hear about the the various um, different approaches being taken um, and the the, the, the the standards that exist. I mean, obviously, there are a, a lot of different standards for people to, to look at. And I guess Every, everyone, Stefan has mentioned it, Derek's mentioned it, um, clarity in the market is is really what's needed where you've got, you know, possibly a patchwork of different things that that, that organisations have to consider. Um, and I think, you know, from a standards development perspective, from, a, you know, from the International Standards Organisation, from a, a country member standards developer in that, um, our role is to sort of independently try to help help with that clarity um, which means not trying to create more you know more standards necessarily here but to try to give some sort of frame into which the standards that currently exist are it can fit and you know the apples to apples uh, point that Stefan made you know you want to be able to see um, that you know that what you're doing fits into an overarching um, frame that will help every organization that is involved in this and particularly depending you know, on particularly in this sector in the wine wine sector is meeting targets in the same you know in a way that everyone can recognize so that they're able to feel that reassurance not just from from their own perspective but for their uh, for everybody working with them in the supply chain and also specifically for their consumers um, who will also want to feel when I was listening to the previous session and and obviously you know consumers are really interested in in what's happening in sustainability so they want to to know that the apples to apples point is is being met in in a way so so our role is not necessarily to uh, create more standards but to try to find that clarity and we're doing um, I, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there, but we, 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 along with the carbon accounting point, there, there are some, there are some initiatives at a, a, a sort of country level, which, which uh, we're engaged in, which, you know, are, are basically, you know, supposed to, they've been designed to try to help with this very point. Thanks, Sarah. I, I posted a couple of links in the chat. Um, one is a webinar we're doing next week with. Nestle, Golden Agri Resources, and Barry Calibo, which is a big cocoa producer. This is, it's non-wine, but it might be helpful. Uh, and I posted some notes from a conference last week about insetting and offsetting. And interested to get into that conversation, perhaps if we have time a bit later. But um, Josep and, and Josh, let me turn to you two now. You're working together. So, w what, which of you would it make sense to go first? <laughs> I'll leave it to you, to you two to choose. I know Josep, you had a slide you wanted to to show, which is fine. Do you want to go first and then Josh? Would that make more sense? Yeah, that, that would be fine. Yeah, this way I can make a little introduction on IWCA for those who don't know it. And then Josh can get into the calculator and the great work he's been doing since the very beginning. Um, well, International Wineries for Climate Action, uh, it's the association in which, uh, well, that was founded before the pandemic. 
and that uh, nowadays is counting with 35 members all over the world. And that uh, I would like to mention that uh, I'm personally very thankful for these wineries that have taken one step forward and that all of them are really uh, an example for the, the rest of the wineries in their own country. So they are, they are re really leaders in, in carbon accounting and climate action. Um, IWCA's main thing is carbon accounting. You cannot control something that you are not measuring and therefore um, carbon accountability is key for that, for that success. Um, I would just like to show this slide I had prepared for those who don't know what IWCA is actually doing uh, because it's not just a certification, it's not just a working group, it's a little more than that. So basically we, we wanted acknowledging that climate change is the biggest issue in the industry, we know that we have to promote action towards uh, reducing emissions. And before doing that, we have to come up with the right uh, carbon accounting methodology. So we wanted to set the gold standard for GHG accountability, um, taking, taking it from the experience of uh, many, many years of carbon accounting from, from Torres and, and from Jackson. And this lands into the IWC, IWCA certificate uh, that we have come up with uh, the help of LRQA. And we are very much aligned to the ISO 14064. It's the main requirement that we are asking for our members. We ask them to calculate their carbon footprint and to pass the ISO audit. Because this way we are um, sure that we are following the, the right path, the science-based path that is trustworthy and credible. We are also building alliances with the Race to Zero initiative from the United Nations, with the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, with LRQA, also with the projects with Sustridge. We are bringing transparency to the sector. And I think that's very important when it comes to carbon accounting, that we share uh, what is our impact in, in terms of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And we do so by our annual report that we are making all the emissions public. Also, lobbying for greater climate ambition. We are running out of time and we need to act quicker. And obviously, we also have these working groups in which uh, we share knowledge between wineries and we bring on different experts. And probably that's the, the path, the, that's the part of the association that can be very much related to Sustainable Wine Roundtable and in which we can have some uh, uh, symbiosis. In a nutshell, we want to have wine as a symbol of climate change. We want to raise ambition. We want to promote climate action but also bring transparency and uh, the right accountability to the sector. And as, as well as raising awareness of the climate issue and, and doing some advocacy as well. So when it comes to carbon accountability, and I'm already done with this slide, you can find more information on the website. And if there is anyone uh, listening to us, I would uh, like to invite them to, to join us. Um, when it comes to carbon accountability, we, we saw there was the need for harmonizing the greenhouse gas inventories of the wine sector because not everyone was counting the same categories. Um, and there was the need for, uh, on one hand, standardizing this carbon accountability and on another hand, making it easier for the wineries that didn't make this first step. So um, what, what we did was to make it easier for this wineries to, to participate in this carbon accounting. And also to maintain always a very science-based approach. 
which means following the guidelines of the GHG protocol and the World Resources Institute, um, asking for the ISO audit, that's basic, taking into account scopes one, two, and three. And, and this includes from the vineyard until the final consumer or the disposal of the wine product. And also you mentioned it, Toby, uh, for this carbon accountability, we don't accept offsets. We just accept some kind of insets, but not offsets. We think that we need to take real action and uh, yeah, to have uh, to be, be responsible of our own activities. Thanks very much, Joseph. I posted a link to IWCA's pioneering work in the in the chat, um, and of course at the at the roundtable, we're very keen to to collaborate, which is why we asked them if they'd be one of our founding members. Thank you for joining us, Joseph, and, and we're looking forward to working together. Um, as previously mentioned, we're not looking to duplicate any of the great work being done elsewhere. We want to build and amplify. Um, and work and partner and collaborate and in a moment I'd like to ask all the speakers for a bit more about how they think things like the GHG protocol will be relevant for wine uh, but Josh over to you first um, talking of pioneers yeah you've been doing this about as long as anyone in wine um, as far as I know uh, and looking forward to hearing your comments about your work with with Josep and others uh, on this topic Josh welcome yeah sounds good thank you um, right my so I started my consulting business, Sustridge, in 2017, and Jackson Family Wines was actually my very first client because I had a previous relationship with them through the, the wine industry work I did with Fetzer. Uh, they wanted help with their greenhouse gas inventory, so worked with them for a few years, doing their inventory every year, and we kind of grew it every year. We tried to get more granular every year, uh, incorporate more scope three emissions every year. And got to a point where it's just a really you know comprehensive inventory that we were doing every year and that's the template um that we used when we created this uh greenhouse gas calculator for iwca um jackson family of course partnered with the uh, uh torres family to start the iwca and wanted a way you know at first i was just doing inventories for all these wineries that were that were joining and they wanted something easy something that wineries could use on their own and so that's how that came about, just taking that template, following the GHG protocol and ISO, and then making it kind of a user-friendly calculator version. Um, and, you know, I work with a lot of different industries, technology companies, asset managers, dairies, you know, all sorts of different businesses and, and do these inventories. And when we get done with the inventories, it's always a, it's always um you know, one of their questions is, okay, great. Now, how do we compare to other companies in our industry? How, how well are we doing? And that's nearly impossible to do because of the, what we're talking about today, these different approaches and different standards and, and things like that. So what, you know, so th there's some, a lot of value for, and, and in GHG accounting and just ESG reporting in general to, um, you know, coming, coming into one standard that is being used and, we see that in IWCA because when all these companies are using the same approach, using the same calculator, the same methodology, the same emission factors, um, it's it's so great for these companies to be able to, number one, we can take all of these inventories and we can get like an industry average or an IWCA average, and we can be confident that they're all using the same methodology. But then those companies can also benchmark against each other and they can learn from other companies who are seeing reductions in their packaging emissions or reductions in their product distribution. And using that same methodology, 
we're very confident, we can be confident in, in um, knowing that those changes they're making are, are uh, resulting in those emission reductions or gains in emissions. And it's so much easier to learn from each other when, you, when you're using the same methodology. And then not to mention, you know, once they all go through this third party audit uh, with Lloyd's register and Derek, that process is, I, I would imagine, much more efficient um, during that audit process as well, because they have this template that they're auditing over and over again, things aren't changing. So um, yeah, we update that once a year. We're excited about uh, what Derek mentioned, the, the greenhouse gas protocol and their, their new guidance that'll be coming out in 2023 on land management and how we can incorporate um, carbon sequestration into these scope one through three sources. That's really exciting, I think, for the wine industry. You know, when I was back in Fetzer, Bonterra, um, we did a study on carbon sequestration because we were, you know, biodynamic and organic vineyards and use regenerative practices. But not every company can do soil analysis and, and do these big studies to understand um, the carbon. So once we have guidance and, and standards and we get more research uh, out there on what are the carbon sequestration rates of cover crops, of sheep grazing, of, of things like that, we can actually incorporate that into the inventory. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a game changer for the wine industry and something we will, you know, incorporate into the calculator once that guidance is available. Thanks, Josh. And let's just have some clarification on some of the big drivers here, because it is quite confusing for those who aren't up to their necks in it every day. So the GHG protocol is WRI and WBCSD originally, I think. But the concern I'm hearing is that WRI aren't necessarily listening to business as much as business would like them to. And the big businesses I met last week were very concerned about um, guidance or, or GHG protocol that wouldn't necessarily encourage the right actions in supply chains. Could you just clarify for us, Josh, briefly, which is the most relevant of these? Science-based targets initiative seems to me to be for the really big companies. And at the moment, is the GHG protocol more relevant for wine? Could you just give us some clarity as to what the how that's well science-based targets initiative i believe is based on the ghg protocol so the ghg protocol is the framework for doing your inventory the science-based target initiative i believe requires you to use that framework as you account uh quantify your emissions and then it requires you to set certain reduction targets over time and it just makes sure that you so i, I think the ghg protocol is the standard uh the global standard for any corporation, not not just the wine industry, but any corporation, and and I believe that's also going to be what's used. You know, the SEC now has a proposal that all publicly traded companies in the United States are going to be required to report emissions as well. And I and I believe, and someone please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe they reference the GHG protocol as initially the the framework that they're going to use for that. Yeah, that's that's really helpful, um, Derek. Anything you want to add yeah. to that clarification part, just so we're all clear? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just add to what Josh said. Um, the the GHG protocol is is thought of as a, a program neutral protocol, um, and the GHG protocol has the history of um, putting together the work groups, like what we're talking about here for the land um, guidance, um, that then gets rolled out to the rest of the world, and other programs pick it up and incorporate it into their programs, like SBI. Um, so, um, so it is seen as kind of like the starting place for a lot of the methodologies. And then, um, 
the, it, it is intentionally left to be a little bit vague. Um, and then the programs take it and will kind of um, lock in some requirements for, from a program perspective. Uh, so that's that it's it's yeah, so I'll just leave it at that. But that's how um, these standards are really rolled out. It, they typically start with the, the GHG protocol. Greg, Stefan, Joseph mentioned incessing versus offsetting. Um, I posted some notes about that, which may be wrong, <laughs> that, I, that I took last week. Can you just clarify for us where you think things are headed? What, what I'm hearing is, it, as Josep mentioned, offsetting is to be discouraged. And, and anyway, from what I understand, most companies won't be able to afford offsets if they're credible. <laughs> so insetting is going to be hugely encouraged. Just tell us from your point of view, well, is that right? And what does that mean? And what do you think that could mean for wine? And then let's see who else has comments on that bit. Stefan. Yeah, yeah sure. I think generally speaking, there, there's still a role for offsets broadly, um, you know, in the, in the global economy, let's say. Uh, the, a lot of the, the movement towards insetting, I think, is driven by um, the SBTI and, and the mitigation hierarchy, yeah, which firstly says reduce your own uh, scope one, two, three emissions and, you know, to the, to the feasible extent uh, possible. And then what, you know, in the near term, you're not able to reduce, you can um, procure offsets. And I think, you know, that remains generally true in the near term offsets will continue to be a very important source of, of climate action. Um, and, and again, this is general, not specific to the wine industry. Uh, and, um, you know, we see that continuing uh, our program and, and other uh, offsetting programs continue to be very relevant. In setting, particularly for agriculture, and, and I think this will be true for, for the wine industry as well, um, is uh, probably has huge growth because the scope three uh, for agribiz companies is huge, right? There's a massive upstream emissions in many cases from agricultural operations. And so, uh, you know, to firstly reduce, again, the, the a company's own uh, emissions in their supply chain, it will make sense to invest upstream uh, and downstream as well in interventions that are reducing those scope through emissions. And so that's where uh, in setting, uh, we do see that growing uh, significantly for ag and, and other sectors. And, um, and that's one of the reasons where we're launching this or have launched, I should say, this uh, in setting uh, scope three pilot. Uh, Joseph, you, you mentioned it. Is it an opportunity for for wine? Because wine has, as discussed throughout this conference and for decades previously, wine has one of the best stories <laughs> and the direct traceability that other other commodities, well, it's not a commodity, I know, but other group food and drink areas envy. So is there a great opportunity for storytelling about, you know, what Torres is doing through through insetting programs to, you know, distribution, retail, etc.? Do you see that as as, as an opportunity? That there is a certain opportunity to yeah to put some added value in the sector, um, mainly through a regenerative viticulture, I would say, because this has the potential to change the entire sector very quickly and, and sequester a large amounts of, of carbon. Uh, also for any reforestation or regeneration of of um, of, of nature around the, the, the wineries. So what we consider is that any of these actions must be taken in your own land, because this way you control the processes, you control the projects, 
And obviously, it has to be audited. So after it's going to be LRQA or any other third-party accredited auditor that's going to say, yes, that's true. You have inserted that much amount of, of carbon. However, we, we don't want to focus on insets. Uh, we want to focus on the emissions that we are um, creating and, and how to cope with them, because those are the most difficult to cope with. Uh, the, emissions, the emissions of the logistics, of uh, the packaging, and so on. We have to come up with creative ideas on how to reduce the emissions embedded in, this, in these activities. And it's written in the standing rules of the uh, IWCA that we want to move away from offsetting. Uh, we don't. We want to be quite far from the climate neutral claims, uh, climate negative, and so on, because uh, this uh, somehow uh, makes the, the 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 public opinion think that the company that is already climate neutral uh, has already achieved the last stage of the of the travel, and that's not true. That's just uh, a virtual transactional thing that you're just paying for offsetting these emissions. And we believe it's it's bringing too much confusion. And given the fact that that's a voluntary uh, issue, that's a voluntary market, you find many different carbon credits that increase the level of, of confusion in, in the market. But probably Stefan has more to say on that. But uh, I think we have to focus on our greenhouse gas inventory, how to reduce these emissions. And up to some extent, inset some of the some of them and when we talk about net zero that's also an interesting concept because no one has uh, defined yet what net zero is we common sense says that we have to reduce as much as we can our emissions until 2040 2050 and if we ever cannot reduce a certain amount of emissions then we should offset somehow however we have to see climate change as, as, a, as a global thing and us Europeans or Americans that we live in the first world, I think we have a higher responsibility. So we should get to uh, climate neutrality by earlier than 2050 and allow third, third countries or uh, companies that, have no, that don't have that much amount of money to offset their, their emissions. That would, be, that would be more fair. Thank you. Well, the, the just transition is a term we're hearing more and more. And I think your comments play a key part in helping frame what that means for companies. Justice and accounting are highly linked, as you've just uh, mentioned there. Sarah, I was going to turn back to you anyway, <laughs> but you've got oh. your hand up. So, uh, no, great. Okay, no, come it, was, on. it was because I wanted to respond to something that Joseph was saying, which I thought was was interesting about the um, about the carbon credits area and and the confusion or the you know the, the potential. Um, complexity rather that there is in that space at the moment and and that of course is the area that you know as I was sort of alluding to earlier that the standards development organizations like ISO and BSI and uh, you know and, and others who come together you know as an you know an independent force to sort of try to help to make this area to accelerate um, the net zero you know, accelerate net zero targets um, you know accelerate the the activity towards net zero targets uh, in, in across the world um, is, is uh, you know, this is a, a space in which 
you know, you you need some some frame, you need some umbrella in, under which you've got some principles that everybody uh, you know recognizes, so that they can they can work together. And there is um, the the Integrity Council for the Voluntary Carbon Markets, which is set up, and that BSI is helping to convene with various. Um, organizations and Aita's in there and, and others and uh, the there are uh, this the idea is to to really to to try to um, enable the, the activities of of organizations you know who are, are all doing you know really thinking very carefully about how do we make this clear and and make and make our you know really make gains towards our uh, Towards change in in and the targets that, that that we need to make in our in our organisations and our sectors. So um, so yeah. So I just wanted to to sort of to highlight that that is where sort of the, the standards development organisations such as BSI and ISO etc. are really aiming to 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 help with the you know with enabling the work that that is being done by by organizations such as Joseph's and, and, and Vera etc uh, and, and Lloyd's so thank you I just wanted to, to make that point really thanks so uh, very helpful and uh, we have a question in the chat about in the winery um, and Joseph last time I saw you you showed me exactly what you were doing in your winery to capture co2 and very impressive it was too if you ever get a chance to go and visit Joseph and his colleagues uh, in Pinedas I highly recommend it what a fascinating uh, day that was thank you for that um, but I think we talked about this at the time Joseph but perhaps we can talk about it here as well I've just posted a link to um, an interview I did with um, Hervé Bellon from Montrose about carbon capture and storage from vinification uh, but I also spoke to another CEO of a, a top winery in, in Bordeaux, who I won't name, who said to me, well, I'm not going to bother with that. It feels like a bit of a gimmick to me. I'm just going to get on with secure, sequestering carbon in my soils because that's where I can have the most impact. And equally, I, I spoke to another Bordeaux winemaker who said to me, I've got lots of sacks of, I think it was potassium bicarbonate that I've made by capturing CO2, but I don't know what to do with them. And they're not really worth anything. Do you know anyone who could take them? <laughs> and I said, well, I don't know, but I'll ask around. Uh, so if any of you know anyone who needs lots of sacks of potassium bicarbonate from a Bordeaux winery, you know, let me know and I'll hook you up. Um, but Joseph, there is a bit of, there are differing views on this. Um, I wondered what yours were, um, given that you're a leader in the space. I think I think potassium bicarbonate is used in, in the vineyards, in the vineyards, for uh, fighting um, I don't know if it's oidium or some kind of illnesses. I think it's it's approved by the ecology um, by the ecological um, uh, vineyard wine growing. Wine growing. Um, that's something that we have already studied and analyzed. The, the thing of bicarbonate is what to do with them once you have transformed them into carbonate into bicarbonate. Um, there is also an alternative, uh, which is transforming sodium carbonate into sodium bicarbonate. And sodium bicarbonate, either even if it's not an expensive um, substance, let's say, um, is very much used in the in the pastry industry for it, it's baking soda. So it's it's used for making cakes and sponge cakes basically and it turns out that there is a an industry like the, like like this uh not so far from our winery and we are uh, in communication with them to see if they would 
well, they would like to use the sodium bicarbonate that we could create. Um, so maybe in the future, that's something that we're gonna that we're gonna apply. Uh, the only drawback here is that we are not reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. We we would reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of this third party of this uh, pasture industry. So maybe that's why some wineries might be reluctant to transform CO2 into bicarbonates. However, when you reutilize your own CO2, then you are um, avoiding having to, to buy um, CO2 from the gas industry. And that's a direct uh, CO2 emission saving. So this is more interesting and that's why we applied it. And that's something that is gonna be done every, every single year. Great, thank you. Um, other views on this. Uh, Josh, if a, a customer comes to you in wine and says, should I be doing this? What would your advice be? You know, is it is it a distraction from you know, focusing on healthier soils or is that the wrong question? You know, is it not either one, but both? What are your views, Josh? Well, I, I like any initiative that reduces emissions anywhere or um, sequesters, sequesters carbon. I think in, in the wine industry though, um, you know, focusing on your soils is uh, obviously a good approach because the, you have so much more benefits than just carbon sequestration. You're building the health of your vineyards, the soil, you're building more resilient vineyards, you're increasing the water retention of your soil, uh, building drought resiliency and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, as long as a company is not, if it's not you know, I, I also have this podcast. I just interviewed Netflix and they've they've come out with this uh, net zero plus nature strategy. So they are purchasing offsets. And I, and I think offsets can be a very good thing for companies that, you know, want to eliminate their emissions while they're also working towards reducing their absolute emissions, which is what they're doing and which I, which I, what I think a lot of a lot of wineries can do. You know, these emissions we, I mean, we have to focus on reducing our absolute emissions, but it's not going to be done overnight. So if there's opportunities to um, to do both and, and reduce your emissions while offsetting some of those more longer term emissions that you can't get to right away by supporting reforestation projects or methane capture at landfill projects or all, a, a lot of these great carbon offset projects around the world, um, I'm, I'm totally in, in support of that. IWCA is taking the approach that, you know, they need to, these wineries need to focus on, on their immediate emissions and, and that's the most important thing and, and that's, and that's fantastic. Um, but there's, there's opportunities for companies, you know, in any industry um, to, to, <clears throat> you know, look at multiple ways to reduce and offset and sequester. Um, and I, and I like them all, but um, of course, the most important thing is, we need to focus on our own internal emissions first. Yes, absolutely. Any other views on the panel um, related to that? Derek, Stefan, do you want to add any comments? I would simply say, backing up your comment, Josh, about about offsets, there are some good ones out there. We work through my business innovation forum with a company called Everland Marketing, and they're the marketing agency for carbon credits uh, generated by red plus projects and some of those projects are absolutely fantastic and you know we've done lots of interviews with indigenous leaders we just did a webinar a couple of weeks ago with a whole group of indigenous leaders from uh, parts of africa talking about the benefits that those red plus projects have had for 
cohesion for land rehabilitation for carbon sequestration um the point i'm hearing from other other industries is that the cost of those credits is going to go up and airlines like delta are buying them all um <laughs> and uh, will there be any left for smaller players so i don't know if that spurred any comments from from you derek or anything else you want to add at this stage um i'm not seeing that much in the chat but i'd love to hear your, your views on that okay yeah yeah we work with um as you can imagine we work with clients in all sectors and um and so you know i i think it's great that iwca has put the challenge to their members to focus on their internal, you know, emissions first. And because in the wine sector, you know, there's, it's, it's ripe for progress in this space. They own a lot of land. Um, there's a lot of land that can be worked with. Um, you know, there's a lot of space to put um, solar panels out there, things along those lines. Whereas in some of the other sectors, like a hotel industry, um, you know, they don't have the opportunities that, that, um, you know, wineries and winemakers have. So then, I mean, they could put, you know, solar on rooftops and stuff, but for the most part, in order to make progress um, in, uh, you know, really reducing their internal emissions, of course, they're working on that, um, but the offsets are coming to play more in certain sectors. And so um, uh, I think it's great to, you know, go for the low hanging fruit first, um, that it's it's kind of like the recycle, um, you know, reuse, um, reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, same sort of thing here, like reduce internal, you know, do what you can to put into practice methodologies within your own um, control. Um, and then the, the equivalent to the recycle would be to go out there and try and find some offsets that that you think are are suitable for your organization to to bring into play. Um, so that that's my two cents there. Okay, thank you. I wanted to ask you. Well, Stefan, do you have any quick comments on on what you've just heard? Because there's another thing, another area I want to ask you all about before we close. But Stefan, just to give you the chance to say anything, or Sarah, if you want to add anything to that, you're welcome. If not, it's fine. No, that's fine. I, I actually just lost my connection for a minute, so I yeah. have to rejoin. Yeah, Fair enough. Okay, Sarah, also anything you want to add, just let me know, raise your hand or something. I was going to ask you all for advice for other bits of the wine value chain. Um, IWCA has done fantastic work, um, and I know you're expanding your, your scope and reach. Uh, yes, um, we at SWR have decided, you know, trying to focus on the whole value chain. Retailers have a wine footprint. You know, they're going to start calculating that if they haven't already. We heard from um, from Inotria, from... Um, from Sam Thackeray there yesterday from Inotria in the UK, which is a big importer and distributor about the work they're doing. So what's your advice as a panel for those who aren't, who don't have their own land or they're not buying grapes directly and have that land influence, but they're in the value chain and they've got CO2 emissions and, and they haven't got perhaps the size that uh, the, the biggest clients of, of Lloyd's Register would have to focus on this, but they know they need to do something. And I wonder what the learnings are that you've gleaned from the last few years that, that the, what the rest of the wine value chain might take from your experience. So perhaps um, uh, I could turn to, to one or more of you for, for comment on that. Who wants to, to offer something? Where, where do you get started? Um, Joseph, can they use the existing tools that you've developed? Uh, are there other areas they should be looking at, other resources? Uh, do you mean um, the value chain providers or are you talking yeah. about 
Well, if you're a retailer, if you're an imported distributor, um, there's obviously lots of places you can go on the internet to get confused about what to do. Yeah. So I wondered from your experience, for those of those listening or watching in that space, you know, what would you do beyond kind of basic footprint calculation of their, you know, using their electricity bills or whatever? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think the difficult part of the value chain is the one we are analyzing because we are very close to, to the vineyard and that's where the emissions are more diffuse. It's so difficult to estimate sometimes or to get the right emission factors or even to um, ask for the right information to the right people. So once this part is done, then the rest of the value chain is, is way easier. And therefore, I would say that uh, IWCA should serve as an example for other sectors, uh, not just within the value chain of the wine sector, but also for the beer sector or whatever other sector. And, um, and what we have to do is to ask these um, third party, third interested parties to also analyze their carbon footprint and to audit these numbers. Because if they don't pass the ISO audit, we cannot just rely on their words. We need this certification that is going to allow us to use their emission factors. And it, it's like a chain reaction. Once they are uh, calculating their own carbon footprint, uh, the entire carbon footprint, including scope three, they are already taking into account the emissions of other sectors. And this um, net is expanding faster and faster. So that's why it's very important to ask all our providers uh, to promote carbon accountability. Great, thank you. Um, who wants to add to that briefly before we close? Advice for other parts of the, the wine value chain, Derek? Yeah, I'll, I'll add. I mean, like I said, we have clients in a lot of sectors. And um, I think one of the most exciting things about Scope 3 is that, um, you know, the the entity who's driving the value chain is the the primary reporter. Like in this case, the, the winery would be driving the value chain for for um, the partners that they choose to, to work with. Um, and another example would be like um, Walmart driving the value chain for all of their partners um, with their initiatives they put into place. And so, um, so first of all, um, the driver has the opportunity to choose the partners that they want to work with that they think are going to be, um, you know, the best partners to help affect change within their inventory from a scope three perspective. Um, and then um, up and down that value chain, you know, how, how do um, suppliers make themselves more favorable to the driver of, of the value chain, you know, of the reporter? And, you know, so there's all kinds of things like um, in the in the glass, you know, not all wineries are able to make their own glass. So re more recycled glass on the glass, you know, producer side or um, in the transportation portion of the value chain, you know, um, efficient logistics, um, using more biofuels. Um, uh you know uh, using electric things along those lines um um and then in warehousing and stuff you know like putting more solar on their their rooftop so when you get into the value chain it's 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 um frankly it's less complicated than than at the winery level or in the vineyards where you're trying to deal with you know fertilizers and soil sequestration and uh, when you get into the value chain it's much more straightforward and it's kind of 
um, the, the type of things that we've all tackled over the last 15, 20 years in this space. So um, it's just getting the people, the, the entities in the value chain to really take action and demonstrate that they're taking action so that then they're, you know, going to contribute to, um, you know, making uh, progress in this space for everybody. Thank you. Any very brief comments from other panelists? You don't have to. Um, Just Sarah. Oh, oh, well, sorry. Sarah first and then Stefan. Oh, I, I was just going to say, um, you know, from the perspective of, of all of the, the work that the IWCA is doing and, and, and others in, in this space, you know, to, to really give some detailed guidance to, to the sector um, is to really consider that the enabling power of, um, of international standards development organizations to, to help be that, um, that force to help you to both share what you're, what you're doing with other sectors and also to get the uh, input of other sectors and what they're doing so that that, that sort of share across is, can, can happen effectively to, to really sort of speed the whole of the, the change in this area in, you know, towards, towards uh, uh, climate adaptation and, and net zero targets. So that, that's, uh, that was all I was going to say because there's so much good work here and, and the things that I'm, I've uh, you know, been hearing here today, you know, there's completely more. I mean, even though I know it's the case, you, you will work incredibly hard to, to, you know to to give this really great guidance to the to your members and the people in the sector and to and to your clients of course as well you know Lloyds and Vera um, and I think it's it, it's it's something that needs to be to be shared uh, and and uh, to make it to make it effective for everyone That's thank you Sarah we are out of time uh, but Stefan very briefly I'll give you a closing comment <laughs> yeah, just one brief comment. No, thank you. So I, I very much agree with what's been said here. Collaboration is is the way forward. And, you know, one of the challenges with when the whole value chain starts to do accounting as scope one, two, three up and down, that the value chain is around double counting and double double claiming and, and kind of, you know, overlapping inventories. And I think this this collaboration can really help with some of the, those challenges and, and having clarity around you know where the emission reduction or removal is in, in the supply chain, and who who uh, amongst the actors gets to uh, claim credit. So that's what I'm Thank you. Thank you. Well, what a great panel! Really interesting subject, very complex, and lots happening. It, it seems very clear to me. There's going to be a lot more clarity or at least we hope there will be in the next six to 12 months here uh, and so this is something we're going to keep talking about let me leave you with an, an anecdote a visit tom and i made a couple of weeks ago to a major producer in southern france i think they export about 30 or, or they they sell and distribute partly to their own operations 33 million bottles of wine a year and the conversation we had with them was about um slow logistics and from just in time to right time which is a really interesting concept uh, which i know is not particularly new but i think it sort of sticks in the mind that you know you don't uh, as as uh, one of the family members that owns the company said to us you don't always need that case of wine tomorrow or in three days time sometimes two weeks is absolutely fine or a month so let's have a smarter logistics program that delivers at the right time rather than just in time so we'll leave that comment there and thanks so much to the panel i think uh tom if i'm right uh, the other par participants are going to join us for the the closing plenary but for now let's give a virtual round of applause to derek sarah stefan josh and Josep. thanks so much for your contributions to this session thank you all